Okay. Take two. <laughs> okay, so first of all, again, just to uh, reiterate from what my wife says, really thank you to the Rothsteins for everything. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's for tonight. It's, you know, Chaim is like amongst many things. He's like our go-to chazan. So, you know, look, you look around the room, like, I could always be confident that, like, I'm not going to have to die for the Yom, you know, because at the very least, Chaim can do it, and he'll do a better job. So, so uh, Hashem should bless you. And just bracha on all levels. I believe die. So as my wife said, so it is. It is L. It is L. And uh, you know, it, it, again, it's it, it, it's a funny thing by the svarad and by achenu b'nei svarad. So right away, once it's L, so you know things change because you know uh, they already start saying slichot. They start saying slichos from the very beginning. You know, mentioning the svaradim. So uh, at least for the men. So when it comes to L. For the Sephardim, it, it hits them very, very strongly. You have to wake up early and so on. For us Ashkenazim, so it's not as obvious. It's not as obvious. Especially us as like Ashkenazi Americans, you know, where it's like sort of still summer mode. So it's a little bit more, uh, you know, difficult, I guess, to tap into it. So this is what we have to do right now for a few minutes, a little bit, to try to connect to El, to the month of El, and to see what our vote is. You know, it's always good to get a head start on things, you know. The next thing you know, it'll be like the night of Slichus. The next thing you know, it'll be like, you know, blowing shofar in Rosh Hashanah, and we'll be thinking like, what happened? Like, you know, so you have to, it's good to try to connect to it as early as possible, at least to plan accordingly, you know. So you put it on your, you know, the planner, that, okay, we're going to do tshuva, you know what I mean? And like, okay, whatever happens, happens. But at least it's officially on the planner. So this is what we have to talk about. So what is the, what is the ending of, of, of the month of Elul? What exactly, if we could, you know, because very often it becomes, it becomes um, overwhelming to think about, you know, the concept of tshuva and the concept of getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, being able to, uh, you know, feel worthy of a good year and so on, because there's like a million and a half things to do spiritually and a million and a half things to do physically so it's very hard you know once you're you know you're 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 juggling so many bulls it's very difficult to hold on to any of them so i think it's i think it's 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 very important especially for the month of l to sort of pinpoint on one one point on one essential uh, nakuda that is not just an aspect peripherally what to work on but maybe you know sort of cuts to the very core of what l is and that one point is manageable to grab, and from there, a person's uh, you know whole season of tishri can be changed. So that's what I want to talk about. One central point of what L is, you know, in, a very, in, in, in its very core. All right. So again, when we think of the month of L, it's usually associated as a month preparing for tishri for Shani, Kippur, Sukkot, here for the Yontif season. But the truth is, what's interesting is, is that according to Chazal. Really, the first um, the first appearance of El in terms of it being a significant month was not so much about its preparation for Rosh Hashanah. The the the, the first emergence of El as a, as something special, not just another month, was the fact that it was on Rosh Chodesh El. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai to begin to receive the second luchos, right? Because we know the history of it, right? By Shavuos. We stand by Arsina, we say Nasa Vinishma. Forty days later, we Mashabin was then up for the next forty days, right? And then we expect him to come down with the first Luchos on Shavasabatamas. But instead of coming down and us receiving it, he sees the eagle. 
right? And Saluchas are broken. He spends the next 40 days from Shavas Batamas until Rish Chaydesh El davening that uh, Hashem should forgive us. Finally, that day of Rish Chaydesh El, Hashem says, okay, you're forgiven, and come back to begin to relearn the Torah and to receive the second Luchas. And that's what was Rosh Chodesh El. So according to Chazal, the significance of Rosh Chodesh El is that it marks the moment when it's clear that the Rabbanu Shalom has not just forgiven us for the Chet Egel, but on some level, it's, uh, it, it's in the rearview mirror, so much so that we could actually begin to receive the Luchas again. Maybe not the first ones, but at least the second ones. And so, and that's, by the way, you know, the custom in, in shul every morning um, is to blow the shofar every day from Rosh Chodesh El and on. So we, we usually, most people think the reason for that is because of like tshuva, just to remind people about Rosh Hashanah. But in, in the sources, that's really not, not uh, the full story. The real reason why the custom is to say, we just got started, it's all right. No, no, what's the problem? It's okay. He went to Woodman. Okay, you know, with, with that being said, you're on time, you know, so it's, that's, uh, it's not so bad. <coughs> so anyway, so we just got started, so we're talking about that, we, well, we know that that on, it was on, the, it was on Rosh Chodesh El, the month of El, so it was on Rosh Chodesh El that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai to begin to receive the second Luchos. And so the, and so to a certain degree, in its very core, the significance of the month of El is not just a month of preparing for Rosh Hashanah, but in its core, the preparation for Rosh Hashanah is in the fact that the Jewish people were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. Because Moshe Ben's ability to go back to receive the second Luchas means that, that, that the sin of the golden calf, which was uh, standing in our way, was somewhat forgiven. And so the day that, that it becomes clear that the eagle is uh, pushed to the side, and Moshe has a clear path back to Shemaim to get the second luchas, was So that's what I was saying, is that, that most people think that when you blow shofar in shul throughout the month of El, it's because of tshuva. That's not the full picture. According to Chazal, the, reason, the, the real reason why we begin to blow shofar on Rosh Chodesh El is because since Moshe Rabbeinu, we know when he went up the first time, so the Jewish people fell into the sin of the, of the golden calf because we lost calculation of the days, right? And so in order to make sure that that doesn't happen again, they blew a shoifer every single day when Moshe Rabbeinu goes up finally on Rosh Chodesh El, they blow a shoifer like, okay, day one, day two, to make sure that no one forgets. So the blowing of the shoifer that even we do to this day is really more connected to this historical event of Moshe Rabbeinu being able to go back to receive the second luchas. So, therefore, what comes out of this is the following point, that in its very essence, in its core, the month of Elul and the avoda of the month of Elul is to somehow figure out a way to connect to this idea of repairing the sin of the golden calf. That's what it is. Because although to a certain degree the sin was repaired enough to allow us to get the second luchas, which began on Rosh Chodesh El, but we know that there's still residual effects of that sin of the golden calf. And so fundamentally, our avayda, and, and what El is, what, what's shining in the month of El is Moshe Rabbeinu's ability to return to, to Har Sinai to receive the second luchas, which establishes that the golden calf has been forgiven. And that's... And that's what El is, and that's our Avodah month of El to connect to that. Now, 
that itself, as we'll see in a moment, is also the way to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. So when El has this, so in other words, it seems that El has these like two dynamics. On the one hand, it's prepared for Rosh Hashanah. But on the other hand, again, the first time that El, the significance of El historically, is the fact that it's, that, that it's the time that's shining with, with fixing the sin of the golden calf. So these two things might seem to be separate ideas, but we're going to see that they're, that they're, they're, they're mamish one. If we in our own lives can figure out a way to, so to speak, repair the sin of the golden calf, now, whatever that means for us, as we'll see in a moment, so that itself is a way to repair for Rosh Hashanah. That itself is a way to repair for Rosh Hashanah. Now, by the way, this, just to, you know, to um, give a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, dimension to this idea, you know, there's uh, in Parshas Ekev, just a few weeks ago in Chomish, so Maisha Rabbeinu in Parshas Ekev is reviewing the story of the golden calf. And so the story of the golden calf uh, first appears in Chomish and Parshas Kisisa. That's when it happened. And in Parshas Kisisa, it just says the, bear, the event, the, the story that happens. You know, the, we, we sinned and the, the whole story. But in Parshas Ekev, when Maisha Rabbeinu is repeating the story, he doesn't just repeat it. The Jewish people didn't need you know, review. They know the story. They knew what happened. They were probably having nightmares from it. So that wasn't the issue. But Moshe Rabbeinu, when he repeats it in Parsha Sekev, he frames it in a certain way. And he's not just repeating the story. He gives it a certain context to explain what the fundamental issue was that allowed for such an event. And the framing that Moshe Rabbeinu gives to the sin of the golden calf is is in the following way. Moshe Rabbeinu introduces the story by saying that us, as a Jewish people, we have a quality that's called an Am Kshayayrif, a stiff-necked people. And, to, and then that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. And then to, to explain that or to give context to that, he says, and I'll show you how, and I'll show you why. Remember the story of the golden calf? And then as, as, after, he record, after he repeats that story, the follow-up Pasuk is, as Moshe Rabbeinu says, in the name of Hashem, that we are commanded with the following mitzvah, umaltem es arlas lavavchem, v'arbechem lo that, that, that we, as a response to this, we have to fix the mistake, and we have to, what the Pasuk says, is circumcise our hearts, umaltem es arlas lavavchem, and not to have a, a stiff neck. So what Moshe, so it's interesting, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, is framing the picture of the Egel Hazav with this description of that the fundamental issue that allowed for such a for such a thing is this quality which he describes in two ways: a stiff neck and an uncircumcised heart. And what Moshe Rabbeinu is therefore telling us is is that the avoda of repairing the sin of the Egel Hazav is fundamentally to pinpoint that inyan of to circumcise one's heart and not to have a stiff neck. Now this Indian of milas halev, of circumcising the heart, is deeply connected to the month of El. Why? So everyone knows, you know, the month of El has many hints to the word, right? Most famously is Anila Dodi, Vidodi Li, is Rosh Tevis El, right? There's another one, a hint to the month of El, that's maybe less known. It says in Pasuk, in Parshas Netzavim, when Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about the coming of Mashiach, so it says over there, he predicts, Umal Hashem that Hashem will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. So the Rishonim bring down, Umal Hashem Es 
Levavcha, the S Levav is Rosh Tevis L. So S is an Aleph, Levav, uh, uh, S Levavcha is Aleph Lamed, the S Levav, that's Vav Lamed, that's L. So it means, again, just tying what we just said in a bow, in other words, what we see is as follows. Again, in its core, what is the month of L? It's, uh, we try to prepare for Rosh Hashanah, but in its very core, the month of El is shining with what? With repairing the sin of the golden calf. And by us figuring out a way to repair, to repair that sin in, in our lives, that's how we prepare for Rosh Hashanah. What, is it, what was the source of the sin of the golden calf? Moshe Rabbeinu frames it as what? As an uncircumcised heart. Which means the month of El, which is what? To fix the sin of the golden calf means to have a circumcised heart. And that's the hint to the month of El, that's So this is what the month of El is, is that the month of El is, the Avodah is, to fix the sin of the Egel Azov. And, the, and when we fix that sin of the, of the golden calf, that's called having a good heart. That's called having a circumcised, healthy Jewish heart. Okay. What in the world does any of this mean? What am I talking about? Okay. So you don't have to understand anything so far. Now we're going to start, okay? Okay, so it's like this. The sin of the golden calf is something that we don't necessarily think that we could, uh, you know, relate to, fall into such a mistake that's like a, you know, something that's not on our radar of things to worry about. But, but, not to make you, not, not to put more on your plate, you know, to worry about. You have enough to worry about. But, it, what, what, to, it, to, but if we sort of peel back all the layers and really get to the fundamental core of the issue, it is something that we can work on. And as we'll see, it's, it's, it's a fundamental point, and, but it is manageable. It is manageable. So what do I mean? To understand this, we have to go very, we have to go way back to the very origin of idolatry. Because that's going to be the core. What's 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 the egel azov? What's the it's, uh, the golden calf is uh, is idolatry. So what is the the root of idolatry? So we think of it. Listen, we're we're modern people, you know. So we think of idolatry as just a bunch of like pagan, barbarian idiots in loincloths dancing around totem poles. That's how we think of it. But these were these were not idiots. These were not fools. These were very sophisticated. Maybe even more sophisticated to a certain degree than us. So what so what what is the origin? What's the historical? Evolution, so to speak, of this Indian that's called idolatry. Because if you think about it, Hashem creates Adam and Chava. Clearly, there's no, you know, there can't be idolatry. They don't have any parents. Uh, Hashem is there, you know. So, so clearly, the, the world starts with Amuna. but somewhere down the line, things go really haywire. So the question is, how did that happen? So there's an amazing Rambam. The Rambam has a whole section in, in Sefer Mishnah Torah where he talks about all the halachas of everything. So there's a section of Hilchas of Adazar, the laws of idolatry. And right in the beginning of that, the Rambam feels, feels uh, compelled to describe to us the historical, the history of how Avodazar came to be, or how such a thing happened. And this is how the Rambam paints it. And it's rel- relatively well known, so we'll go through it quickly. The Rambam says like this, the process was as follows. Certainly, again, Adam and Chav are created... Obviously, they have a Muna. That's all, you know, uh, that, 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 that's the only option. And obviously, when they have Cain and Hevel, and eventually, you know, Shays and so on, they're teaching a Muna. So, so what happens? So says the Ram like this, at the, during the generation of Enosh, which is already a few generations later, which they still believed in Hashem, obviously. Says the Rambam, To, to is Godel. They made a terrible mistake. A terrible mistake. And what was the big mistake? 
says the it says wrong like this. The mistake was the what was the following idea. They said, "Listen, God's amazing. God's God. God's the creator of the universe." And but but God is a little bit out there, maybe more than just a little bit. And so the generation of Enosh felt that they didn't have much of a way of truly interfacing with that God. But they made the following calculation. Listen, God did create other powers in the universe, right? So he created angels, and he created the sun and the moon uh, and the galaxies and so on. So the generation of Enosh said the following calculation. Obviously, the angels don't have their own power. Obviously not. The sun and the moon don't have their own power. It's all, it's all God. But if God created these, these uh, entities to be sort of the, the, the channels through which the world is, is run w- by God, then if we give honor and respect to these entities, that's itself a respect to God. If I respect the servant of the king, then that's also respecting the king. And so the, 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 the calculation of Enosh and that generation was, listen, if we want to show respect to God, by showing respect to his uh, creations, that's also a way of respecting him. And so that was the decision that they made. So they started respecting and showing honor to angels and to the uh, planets and so on and so forth. Until, says the Rambam, they decided to make the next, the next step. The next step was, you know, listen, we're going about this in such an unorganized way. Let's create a more organized system to give honor to these to these entities, to these uh, angels and so and 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 the planets and so on. Again, it's still God's still in charge, and we're only doing this to indirectly show respect to God. But let's make it a little bit more organized. So that's what they did. They started coming up with more, you know, uh, uh, organized uh, rituals. You know, creating temples and appointing priests to be in charge of these ceremonies, and slowly but surely, you sort of had the beginnings of religion, of, of, of religions being established, revolving around giving honor and respect to these entities. Again, all with the idea that by giving respect to them, it's ultimately giving respect to God. But then what happens, says the Rambam, next step is the, the masses of people that are just, you know, making pilgrimage to these uh, temples and so on mm-hmm. and don't know, you know, all the steps behind the scenes. So all people, all the, the, so the experience of the masses are just, we're bowing down to the sun. That's just the experience of the people. So then the Ramana says, so now you have this disconnect between, let's say, the priests and the, you know, the aristocrats, the higher-ups, the more educated people of the generation, and the masses. The masses are just, you know, are just experiencing the, uh, the you know, the boots on, boots on the ground, which is we're bowing down to the sun. And therefore the masses make the conclusion that the sun is God. Now, the, the priests and the intellectuals and the philosophers understand that the Son is not God. This is just a way of respecting God. But now you have, but, now, but, 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 but in this step of the story, you have now the vast majority of people not making that calculation and just falling for the mistake of just believing in the Son. And then, says the Rambam, the next step is that that group of philosophers and priests the ones that understood the history of it grow increasingly sm- small in number to the point of where there's none of them left. And now everyone is just now under this mistake of that the sun is God, or that the angels are God, and that's all we're doing. To the point of where, says the Rambam, like, therefore it comes out that just no one remembers about Hashem. And in this context, says the Rambam, comes Avram Avinu. 
And Avram Avinu comes to, and on his own, he, 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 he figures out, as we, as we know from Avram Avinu, time he's three years old, he begins to investigate, and he, begins, and he comes to the conclusion, no, 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 that all this is mamashtos, it's all narishkite, and all there is is the one God. And Avram Avinu begins doing a lot of effort, and literally, and Mamash giving his whole life over to this, to bring the world back to Amunah, as it was before this whole mistake took place. Now what's amazing is, the Rambam then goes on to say, and it's in this context that all of Yiddishkeit is framed. Because the Rambam says, Avram Avinu was successful, at least in terms of, of making you know, the one God back on the scene of life. And he was successful in terms of establishing a Muna in his family. But the Rambam goes on to say that even in the Jewish people, because of our time spent in Mitzrayim, it also began to become a little bit weak, our Muna. Until finally, Hashem Yisbaruch sends Moshe Rabbeinu, and we're taken out of Mitzrayim, and we're given Tyra, and says the Rambam, and because of Moshe and Harsina and so on, we, now we can fully eradicate from ourselves the mistake of idolatry. So what the Rambam is doing is an amazing thing, that he's framing all of Yiddishkeit, in this way of correcting the mistake that started with the generation of Anash. In other words, that, in, in, to a certain degree, all of Yiddishkeit is geared to fix this problem, which is an amazing thing. You know, we think, okay, idolatry is an issue, but all of Yiddishkeit is to fix this. So let, let's understand, what does that tell us about Yiddishkeit? I mean, it's like, you know, we're, 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 we're Orthodox Yiddin, so like we're, we're, we're engaging in Yiddishkeit, so... And all of Yiddishkeit, says the Rambam, is really fundamentally to try to correct this mistake of idolatry. So here's the idea. In its very, very root, the core issue that the generation of Enosh had, which then led them to make all the calculations that they did, which eventually led to idolatry, in its very core, the issue that Enosh, that the generation had, is the following problem. And it's a very legitimate very legitimate problem, which is we want to connect to Hashem. We want to serve God. But at the same time, we know that God is, by His very essence and by His very nature, by His very definition, beyond our reach. Right? There's a famous, state, there's a famous statement from the Rishonim that, it, that the one that knows God is God. The only, the only way to truly say that I know who God is is if you're God Himself. By the very nature of God, it means that he's always beyond our ability to comprehend and to grasp. So this is the catch-22. So the catch-22 that the generation of Anishad is, we want to serve God, but there's no way for us to grasp him. There's no way for us to truly relate to him. It's an impossibility. Anything that I want to relate to, it means it has to be something within my zone, within my, within my ability to comprehend intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, something. You have to grasp it. Otherwise, it's beyond my radar. And so God... So, so either way you go, if if God becomes lowered to be part of some, to be you know to be graspable, then that's not God. And if God is not becoming graspable, he's he is who he is, then I can't grasp him. So what am I stuck with? So I'm stuck with nothing. And it was because of this problem that Enosh decides that they're going to come up with the solution. The solution is we're not going to try to grasp God. We are going to try to grasp the things that he created. And by grasping and connecting and interfacing with the sun and the moon and the angels and so on, that indirectly will connect us to God. But the fundamental problem was not a lack of respect for Hashem. The fundamental problem was this paradox, which is what, 
either I'm either God's relatable and then he's not God, or he is God and he's unrelatable. That's the problem. That's the problem. And it's in this context that the Ramam says, Avram Avinu and Yiddishkeit are the answer to that. So what does that mean? How does Yiddishkeit answer this? And, and understand that this teaching over here is getting us to the very core of what Yiddishkeit is. Yiddishkeit is, fun, is, is, is a system that's fundamentally geared to solve this paradox, to solve this problem, which is to relate to a God that's, that's unrelatable. And, and what Yiddishkeit is, is maybe not something that we can articulate intellectually, because the mind can still have this paradox. But every single mitzvah and every single experience in Yiddishkeit is fundamentally this somehow helping the Jewish soul navigate this paradox, which is that the Rav created this system that's called Torah Mitzvahs. And the system of Torah Mitzvahs is such that it allows the Jewish soul to connect to an unknowable God. You know, there's a, there's a famous statement that goes back, uh, it goes back a long way. The, the statement is, Tachlas Haidiyah, that the greatest level of understanding is to know that you don't know. To know that you don't know. See, that's an interesting statement, to know that you don't know. Something that you don't know, I don't know. Something that I know, I know. But I know that I don't know. See, that, that, in there lies the secret of Yiddishkeit. See, in there lies the secret of the Jewish person being able to be absolutely comfortable, absolutely... Um, feeling a sense of wholeness and feeling a sense of, of completion by being connected to a Rabbanu Shleilam that you ultimately can never truly articulate intellectually who he is, why he does the things he does, how he runs your life. But at the same time, despite the fact that you can't intellectually articulate how this God works, which should therefore mean I have no connection to him, but it's somehow, in some way, you still feel whole and you still feel complete in, in this world of Yiddishkeit and in, and in connection to Rabbi Shalom. For a Jew to be able to say that I have a relationship with God, despite the fact that I still don't know who God is, that's the secret of Yiddishkeit is. And this is something that, that cannot be man-made. It cannot be man-made. If, if, you know, that's why any, every religion... That's why when Enosh were trying to figure it on their own how to, how to relate to God, they, they, they came to a legitimate conclusion, which is it's impossible. Only God himself can create a system that both allows him to be him and still allows us to feel a connection to him and to experience a connection to him. This is the secret of the Jewish, of the Jewish soul. And in particular, this is what it means to have a Jewish heart. Like, what does it mean to have a Jewish heart? It's something that we, you know, it's, it's by, the, by the Jewish people in Yiddish and other languages, you know, to have a, a Yiddish heart, to have, to have a Jewish heart, to have a circumcised heart. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so usually sometimes it means to be, to be empathetic. You know, a Jewish heart is uh, sensitive to other people. But in a much deeper sense, the nature of the Jewish heart means to be able to handle and to cope with paradoxes. To be able to live in a world where opposites are happening at the same time. See, the mind and the heart are very different. The, the mind 
is very structured. Either it's black or it's white. There's no other options. It's very, very, that's what, that's what intellect is. Right or wrong, black or white. And the mind, therefore, cannot fully grasp the entire experience of Avodah Hashem is not something the mind can comprehend. Because in terms of the mind, well, either God is really understandable, then he's not God, or he's being God and I have no connection to him. The mind can't comprehend it. And therefore, in the mind, the conclusion is like the generation of Anosh. But the heart represents the ability of the Jew to not only embrace paradox, but actually to find solace and to find comfort and to find meaning in a life that's full of paradox. That's what the heart means. That's what the heart's able to do. The heart's able to, to handle that and to not just handle to, to embrace it and to feel satisfied and to feel fully comforted by living with a God that it can never truly understand. And that to the brain... That's very disheartening. To the brain, that's very upsetting. To live with a God that you'll never understand, but the Jewish heart, fully comfortable with that. More than comfortable. It, 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 it feels satisfied in full with that experience. There's a, there's a sentence from the Zayar that sort of sums this up. The Zayar Kaddish, the Zayar Kaddish has the following sentence. Les no mind can grasp God. Says the Zayar, Avol nitvasu but he is graspable in the desire of the heart. In the desire of the heart, God is graspable. Now, it doesn't mean that God is lowered. He's still God. But somehow, the heart of a Jew is able to figure this out, to experience and to be satisfied with a Yiddishkeit, with a life, with experiences throughout life, which, at the one hand, don't make sense, but on the other hand, you know that it's, saturated with meaning. And usually when, when an experience is saturated with meaning, you want to know what the meaning is. But what if, what if it means to be experience things which are saturated with meaning and you don't know what the meaning is and you can't know right now what the meaning is? Would that be comforting to you? Would that be satisfying to you? Only a Jewish heart can experience that. And this is ultimately, it's the Jewish heart that is the solution to the mistake of Avodah Because the mistake of Avodah in its root is this rigidity of, I understand, and if I understand, good, and if I don't understand, unrelatable. The sin of Avodah fundamentally is, I want to relate to a God, to a life that makes sense. If it makes sense, good. If it doesn't make sense, not for me. And that's in its root something, a system, a philosophy, a lifestyle, which makes sense to the brain. Makes sense to the brain. But that's the opposite of the type of lifestyle that the heart of a Jew wants. The heart of a Jew does not want everything to make sense. The heart of a Jew is at home in paradox. It's at home in paradox. It's at home with relating to a God who is unknowable, unrelatable. And this is what the month of Elul is. The month of Elul is to, you know, as we get, you know, the, the, you know there's a famous, there's a famous uh, marshal that was given by the Baltanya. Baltanya said, what's the month of Elul like? So Rosh Hashanah, we come visit the palace, and Hashem's in the palace. What's the month of Elul? Melech Basada. We're in the field, people are in the field, the citizens, you know, the, the peasants are working in the field, and the king comes to them. That description of the king in the field 
is itself paradoxical. Because the field means what? What does the field mean? The field means a space and an environment that the peasants feel comfortable in. Like this is their Indian. Like they know the, the soil, they know how to, how to you know, uh, work the land and so on. So this, the field represents the, the people's comfort zone. But yet the description of a king in the field, a king by his very definition means something that's, whoa, that's, a little, that's, that's beyond our range. The king in the field is, this, is a description of this idea of a Jewish person identifying that the very core of every single mitzvah and every single experience in life is what? Is a point of contact between me and God. And that God that I'm coming in contact with, I don't understand, and that's okay. But it's a point of contact between me and God. And that's in its root what El is. This is why... The, 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 the sin of the golden calf, which is the sin of idolatry, Maishavini describes as what? As, a, as an uncircumcised heart and a stiff neck. Because a stiff neck represents what? The stubbornness of not being able to handle complexity, of not being able to handle paradox, of not being able to handle what it means to you know, have a relationship with a God that you don't understand and a God that's beyond that's, there's a stubbornness in, in, in the refusal to accept that and the refusal to embrace that. And it means not to have a, a circumcised heart. The month of El is what? It's about embracing that. It's about fixing that problem. It's about having a circumcised heart of, 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 of being able to open ourselves up to Hamelch Basada, to experience a, a king who's beyond our grasp, still within our comfort zone. So that's the idea. Practically, to bring it down in a very, very simple way, in a very, you know, you know in, in a straightforward way. It means to realize that every single mitzvah that we have, and every single, I mean, by extension, every experience that we have, but every, every single part of Yiddishkeit is really not just mitzvahs that we do, not just acts that we go through, but they're points of contact. They're points of contact. They're points of, they're, 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 they're points of, of, of the bridging between us and the Rabbani Shalom. And instead of the Rabbani Shalom therefore just becoming watered down to something that uh, we can put in our pocket or you know, hang on our neck or something like that, God is God. But every single mitzvah is there to, to, to act as a point of contact between us and Him. And the fundamental avoid of the month of El is to rethink mitzvahs like that. That instead of thinking about mitzvahs as things that we do, or things that we stay away from, or whatever. Mitzvahs are acts that we do in order to create that bond between us and, and the king. Who the king is? What does that relationship mean? How could I... T- I don't know. But somehow these are, the ex- these are the acts, these are the experiences that allow that, that bonding to take place. Because it, it can't happen in any other way. Any other way it's impossible. Because God's out there. Either he's out there or he's not God. But the only way for such a thing to be able to happen, that, that, that there should be such an idea where a Jewish person can bond and have a, a relationship and a real attachment to the, to the king is only through Torah mitzvahs, but it's through Torah mitzvahs when we, are, when we see them as points of contact. And this is the essential of Eid of El, which is, like it says, like, it's, like we say in L'Dav Rasham Arvishi, which is, L'cham Libi, that my heart says, Bakshupanai, search me out, search out my face, says Hashem. Bakshupanai. And so the, the vote of the month of El, 
which means to have a circumcised heart, which means to fundamentally you know, repair the mistake of idolatry, to reconnect to that forgiveness of the sin of the golden calf and allowing Moshe Rabbeinu to go up to Harasinai to return to get the second luchas. The fundamental core Nakuda is, is that to begin to see all of life as a relationship with the Rabbani Shalom. And and at no point in this relationship does it mean that God is becoming lowered because of it. And nowhere does it mean that God is becoming more uh, understood because of it. But at the same time, life is the, the, the experience becomes saturated with meaning, despite the fact that the mind doesn't the mind can't comprehend it. It means to live in such a way of yichud, of doing things in a way of yichud, of doing mitzvahs in a way of of, of yichud, a way of, 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 of connection, of not doing it, you know, there's 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 uh, like like people in business, their relationship, it's a relationship, you know, sort of of things. You know, whatever the business is about. It could be about shoes, it could be about whatever the, the, the business is. The relationship is of things. Mitzvahs is there are things in mitzvahs. Shaifer, and you know, there there are things in mitzvahs. But it's not a relationship of things. It's a relationship through things. Through things. That's the Nakuda. It's a relationship between us and the king through these acts. And even though we're never going to be able to articulate to ourselves who the king is, but at the same time, these mitzvahs are made in such a way that allows that union to be, that despite the fact that we don't ever, that we can't articulate right now in our mind who the king is and how, and how this is helping me in my life, but the heart of a Jew embraces it, and the heart of a Jew is able to feel satisfied with that experience, so much so that the person can say, you know, that I'm living in Hashem's house my entire life, and I still feel, and intellectually, and so on, I'm just visiting. So there's this like funny dynamic of living, of being a citizen, at the same time just being a, a guest and a visitor. It's because, you know, who God is, He's still a melech. A melech means something that's beyond. But at the same time, I feel extremely comfortable in His presence. I feel one with Him, and I feel whole because of the fact that, that the Melech is in my life. Who the Melech is, he's still a Melech. He's still a Melech, which means that he's beyond. But he's in my life, and he makes me feel whole and satisfied. And that enriches my life to whatever degree, whether I can understand how, I don't understand how, but it's a level of embracing mitzvahs with simple faith and identifying them as points of contact between you and the king and not just things that you do to offer your service. When, it's, when, when God is out there and you're just doing things to offer your service to Him, then, you're gonna, then the person might fall into the mistake of Enosh, which is like, okay, God's still unrelatable, so why am, I, why am I spending all my time trying to serve Him? Let me serve the sun and the moon, so to speak. Whatever the sun and the moon means in your life. But rather the answer is, no, 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 I'm not trying to, I'm not offering services, I'm, I'm connecting to God. I, God is unrelatable, how am I connecting to God if I don't know who He is? That's true in the brain, but it's not true in the heart. The heart is able to make sense of that. And because we're Jewish, and we have a Jewish heart, it means that we have the capability with mitzvahs. All we have to do is just think about mitzvahs in a different way. Before you do a mitzvah, just think about it. This is not something that I'm doing. This is something that I'm using to connect with the king. This is something that's a point of contact between me and the king. You do that, then the entire experience changes. And although intellectually you have not gained anything or a more better understanding of who God is, but the heart becomes more satisfied and the heart becomes more at ease and at peace and, at, and, and whole 
with all of life and with the experience of Yiddishkeit. Even though the mind, nothing's happened, but the heart has opened up. That's what it means to be a Jew. That's the month of El. Change mitzvahs from being things that we do for God, but rather things that we do to, to become connected to God, to, our, to give ourselves over to Hashem, for Hashem to give Himself over to a point of contact. That's, that's what mitzvahs have to be, and that's what the month of El is. And by doing so, we completely fix the sin of idolatry. Because again, in its core, the sin of idolatry was, God's unknowable, all I, the best I can do is do things for Him. And like in his direction. But who he is, I have no idea. El means to fix that. And when you have that, then you could stand on Rosh Hashanah before the king and still feel comfortable. Because Rosh Hashanah should not be a day of uh, overwhelming dread. Rosh Hashanah at the same time, there's a certain level of year on Rosh Hashanah because he's the king and we don't understand who he is. But on the other hand, there's a certain, there is a simcha on Rosh Hashanah in our ability of experiencing the king. And so Rosh Hashanah itself is this dynamic of being comfortable in the presence of the one that we have no understanding of at all. And that's, that's a paradox that only the heart of a Jew can comprehend. And it begins, we have to work on that from the beginning of El. And the way to work on that is by seeing every mitzvah is this way of, of point of conduct. Because only, mitzvah, only God himself can create such a system of mitzvahs where every single one of these mitzvahs is a way of making the heart more comfortable, opening the heart up, and bridging the gap between us and God, where he's still God, and we're still us, but we still feel comfortable and one together. Let me, let me just end off with a quick story, okay? So usually I say stories of like, you know, tzaddikim from like uh, 300 years ago. This is a Misa from last week. Okay, last week. Okay, so here's the story. I was speaking to um, to uh, one of my friends in Williamsburg, Chassidah Shayid, on uh, it was Friday this past Friday. So he was losing and catching up a little bit, and he tells me the following story happened to him. He was traveling last week. He was traveling for business, and uh, in his travels, he was sitting with a Chassidah uh, Shayid a young a young Chassidah guy. Didn't, didn't, didn't know, you know, didn't recognize him, but uh, he's a chassid, he's a chassid, so they began to talk, and he, and he asked him, my, my friend asked this young man, like, uh, you know, who are you, you know? And so the person says to me, he says, who am I? I'm a yid. What do I do for a living? I'm a pilot. Okay, interesting. It's an interesting job to be a pilot. But my friend was taken by the way he said it, like, I'm a Jew, and what I do for a living is I'm a pilot. So my friend, uh, they, small talk is not their strong suit. They cut to the point. So my friend says to him, where do you get such a, you know, where, you know where, who talks like that? Like, where do you come from? What's your story? So he says, I'll tell you my story. So he says that, you know, I, you look at me right now, beard and pace, the whole thing. He says, it's not, it's not how I used to look. He said, I grew up uh, as a hostage. But when I was younger, maybe like, you know, late teens, early 20s, you know, I, I made wrong choices in life, and uh, I ended up having to go to prison. So I was going to prison, and before I went into prison, this is what the guy says. He says, I, 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 I was speaking with my brothers, and I told them, I said, you look at me, this guy's name is, uh, his name is Mendel. He says, you look at me right now, you see the beard and pays and everything? It's not you're going to see me anymore. Like, we're done. Okay. So he goes into prison, this is what Mendel says to my friend. He goes into prison, and he has a, the cell. His roommate is this African-American guy. Let's call him Bob, whatever his name was, Bob. 
So, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're friendly, whatever. They get to know each other a little bit. And every once in a while, you know, I guess once a month or whatever it is, like a barber would come to give haircuts. So t- time came for a barber to come, and Mendel needs a haircut. So Mendel goes to the barber, and the barber asks him, what do you want? So he says, all right, it's the whole thing. Just take everything off. The barber's like, you sure? Because he has a beard and beard. Yeah, okay. So the barber takes everything off. Mendel goes back to the prison, to the, to this, you know, to the cell, and he sees Bob. Bob sees him. Bob's like, Mendel, what happened to you? So Mendel's like, what do you mean what happened to me? I got a haircut. I was like, I, I, I see that you got a haircut. <laughs> like, what, you know. So he said, I, you know, I wanted to get rid of it all. So Bob says, you lost your mind. You want to be like us? We want to be like you. So Bob, so Mendel's like, what are you talking about? Bob says, here, come here. So he brings, Bob brings him over to his uh, mattress, whatever, and he had a Bible with him. And so Bob opens up the Bible, and he, to Deuteronomy, right, to Savior Devarim, whatever the parasha was, and he begins to read to Mendel, you see this? And Mendel's like, what? And he says, look, look what God says about you. The chosen people, he loves you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's never going to forget you, and you're gonna, even at the, you know, you're, you're spread to the four corners of the world, he'll bring you back, like... He loves you so much. You want to be like me? The whole world wants to be like you. So what does Mendel say to Bob? So Mendel says, eh, that's, you know, that's not talking about me, it's about other Jews. You know, whole, and Bob says, you know what your problem is? You and all you people. With the Jew, you know what your problem is? You can't take a compliment. That's your problem. You can't take a compliment. And this, this is what Bob says. This is what Bob says to Mendel. Bob says to Mendel, you know what you're like? You're, you're, you're like a person that comes home to his wife. And he starts saying to his wife, wow, supper was delicious. And what does the wife say? Yeah, my mother makes it better. My sister makes it better. Rabbanu Shalom, take a compliment. I'm saying to say thank you and, 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 and embrace it. And move like, since the Bible says you can't, you can't take a compliment. Mendel said to my friend, that, that Moshe from Bob changed my life. And ever since then I decided, you know what? I'm going to take the compliment. God, God wants me. I, do I understand who he is? Do I understand why? I don't understand why. But God loves me and he wants to be a part of my life then I'll allow my heart to embrace it. So more than this, you know, to me, this is like the, the kicker of the story because I just like appreciate it so much. This Mendel told my friend, he said that, that when he got out of prison, so he straightened his life out and you know, he has a beard and pace now and the whole thing. And so every Friday afternoon before Shabbos, the minute by chesidim is to, sing, to say Shir Shirim before Mincha Erev Shabbos, that's the minute. So he says there's one pasuk in Shir Shirim which says, Shchayrani v'nava b'nais Yerushalayim. That says in Pasuk that the Jewish people say, I'm blackened by sin, but I'm still beautiful to Hashem. That's the Pasuk. So this Chassidish guy says, whenever I say that Pasuk, this is how I teach it. Shechaira anivanava, that it was a black person that told me that I'm beautiful to Hashem. That's the, you know, it's Mamish. But we have, to, we have to learn how to do that. That's what El is. El is learn how to take a compliment. The Rabbanu loves you. We want to be part of your life. So the brain says, Eh, do I deserve it? Do I like it? Is it me? What does it mean anyway? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know who God is. The L is, allow the heart to be opened. Allow the heart to embrace Hashem's love and Hashem's worth and Hashem's choosing of you. And realize that every mitzvah is that, is that Hashem is saying you're a good cook and, and, and it was delicious tonight. You know, that, that, that's, what, that's what every mitzvah is. And just say thank you and appreciate it and... And then and, and say a compliment back. That that's that's what uh, no, you you do anyway. But I'm saying, but like, like that, 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 that that's what that's what it is. That's the avoid of hell. So Hashem should bless us. We should have a, a healthy month, a good month, and and a month that's full of a, a healthy Jewish heart. 
And we should be able to feel satisfied with Hashem's love and Hashem's presence in our lives. We understand it. We don't understand it. It makes us, we can intellectually understand why. We don't intellectually understand why. The heart should be satisfied and good and full of all good things. Again, once again, again Hashem should bless the Rothsteins with all good things, with a good, healthy Jewish heart on all levels. B'Shef Abrach Vatzlach on all levels. Adizant Yar for us and the whole Kiel and all of Klai Yisrael. Shkaya. Shkaya. Shkaya.